Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Welcome to Ashley Talks Podcast number 14. Today we're speaking with Sam Waldo. He is the co-founder of Mantra, which is an eyewear brand whose mission is to provide vision care for under-resourced rural children in China. And of course, he's paving the way for social enterprises in China. Um, he's been recently awarded and named the 2018 Forbes 30 Under 30 for Asia. Sam, pleasure to have you on the show. I'm honored to be here, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Sam, I know that you're doing this fantastic job in China and you've been living in China since 2010. Uh, can you tell me what is your story? Why China? Why social entrepreneurship? What are you doing there? Sure, sure. So uh, I'll give you the I'll give you the the, the medium short version and then, um, <laughs> you know, happy to answer any follow up questions. Uh, so I uh, I moved out to China, or no, let's start for, for how I got interested originally. Um, I started studying Chinese uh, at, at university really just uh, on a whim, basically. Uh, I decided to do something that was uh, very challenging and different from anything I had uh, learned before. And so their Chinese was this, this big uh, language that I had really no exposure to or, or any understanding of the culture. Um, and at the same time, you know, people were talking more and more about China back in those uh, those days. So I decided to start studying Chinese, uh, really took to it, really liked it, um, came here for a summer study abroad, uh, came here eventually as part of a, a language competition called uh, Han Yuqiao, which was based, ah. out, of, uh, based out of Hunan. Um, and I really just got the feeling that there was, you know, there was a lot to a lot that I could do here, not only that that could be done, um, but that, you know, China was really welcoming me to to come and be a part of uh, the, the changes that were going on in this country. So after uh, after graduating in 2010, uh, I joined uh, a nonprofit called Teach for China, uh, which uh, places um, volunteer teachers uh, into rural areas of, uh, of Yunnan province uh, mm. in under-resourced communities. Uh, and, uh, you know, I decided to do that because uh, I thought that Having a long career in China, if I was going to be here uh, long term, then, you know, what better way to really understand this country and be able to make a contribution? Um, you know, what better way than to start from kind of the, the ground up and to learn, you know, not just to come to Beijing and Shanghai right. and see the whole fast growing, fast growing skyline that everyone kind of talks about, uh, but get a little bit more of an understanding of like, where's the where's the society coming from? Mm. Where are the you know what is what is life in China for 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 rural uh, for rural communities for low income communities for all these migrant communities that uh, you know that you hear about occasionally yeah. on the news. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. So I was really drawn to to doing that program and uh, had a had a you know fantastic and incredibly challenging time. Uh, I'm so glad that I had that opportunity to go just live, um, you know, immerse myself fully in, you know, in, in rural China, which is, uh, I think, a very rare opportunity. Since then, the the teaching program has uh, stopped placing foreigners in these schools. Like these days, mm. um, only Chinese nationals are allowed to, to participate in the program uh, because, you know, of growing sensitivities uh, mm. and the sensitivity of, you know, having a having a, an American just in in a position in a Chinese public school, relatively right. you know, relatively rare. And 
while in uh, while doing the Teach for China program, um, you know, it was a very it was very difficult. Uh, when I say difficult, uh, I don't just mean that it was you know trying and that there was you know no no hot water and electricity <laughs> and that sort of thing. You know, that was that was one part of it, but. Really, you know, for for a bunch of us, for a, a bunch of us, you know, kind of high achieving, very bright eyed, bushy tailed uh, American recent college graduates, <laughs> we we weren't we weren't used to failure. You know, we thought that we were going to come in there with our you know our big ideas about education and uh, our really positive attitudes, and that we were just going to to do an amazing job for every single one of our students. That we were going to you know, differentiate education in our classroom, make sure that no student was falling behind and that mm. everyone was learning English, not just as a tool for tests, but as a tool to communicate and that to, to really, uh, you know, help give them a boost in their future careers and traveling abroad and doing, you know, we had all of these very wonderful ideas. Uh, but the reality in, you know, for for teachers uh, like ourselves was there's really... The, the systemic problems and the systemic challenges that our students were facing were much much larger than uh, any of us could um, solve in mm. you know in two years as as the teacher of an of English classrooms in in rural China um, there were just there were just huge issues and pressures in terms of test taking and in terms of uh, different levels of different levels of um, ability in the classrooms and so we were facing a situation where you know, I was facing a situation where you know, I was going to class every day doing my best for these students. Mm. Uh, but there were students who just, you know, who who I was I really felt like I was failing as a teacher because they, they weren't they weren't learning. They weren't improving. And uh, and I could see them kind of slipping uh, further and further away from, mm. you know, the goals, the goals that, that I had to, to make them really, really love their education, to love English and to, to do really well. So, you know, there was there's there's not really any any uh, easy solution to that uh, we discovered, but we thought we 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 also discovered that a lot of our students had a, a problem that maybe we could uh, make a more direct contribution to. So we found that a lot of our students had very serious vision issues. Yeah, uh, these are kids you know, sitting in class from maybe seven a.m. until ten p.m. Uh, five days a week or or more. Uh, and for a lot of them, you know, you can see them squinting, uh, unable to copy notes from the board, uh, unable to really participate in class. And this just has a tremendous and immediate impact on their ability to uh, to think of themselves highly and to really focus on their education and to invest in their education. Um, and, and, you know, we, we had a number of students who ended up dropping out of school partially because of, of this kind of um, this kind of issue. Yeah. And. So we, we got the idea to uh, in, in the second year of our teaching to uh, to to do a small glasses project and uh, to raise a little bit of money from friends and family uh, to find a local doctor and to give uh, free eye exams and free glasses to the students uh, in our in our classrooms. Mm -hmm. And so we did that that first year at three schools. Uh, and, and we really you know, what we found was really, you know, really shocking. Mm -hmm. um, out of out of one school, for example, uh, Luodong uh, Middle School, which was um, this was all based in, in Linsang County in, in Yunnan. Right. Um, at one school in Luodong, there were it's a school of, of 600 students. Uh, sorry, 500 students. Mm -hmm. um, and of these 500 students, a uh, hundred of those students needed glasses. Yeah. And then so had had vision problems, about 20 percent, which is about average. 
And then, uh, Ashley, I'll, I'll, I'll pause and ask you a question here. Uh, you know, out of those hundred students who had vision problems, how many would you guess already had the glasses that they needed? I would say 50%. 50%? Only six. Oh! Only six. So, uh. yeah, so it was like, it, it, it just, it, the, 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 and everywhere, at every school we went to, there were similar figures. <laughs> it was just mind-blowing, like, uh, because, you know, especially because China, you know, focuses on education so much and families pour so many resources, but this, it turns out that this problem is is entirely um, ignored uh, or, or uh, misunderstood. Uh, and so, you know, consistently we found that, you know, 90, 90 plus percent of students who needed glasses didn't have them. Uh, and so we decided to to continue growing the project and um, and to, to keep putting work into it. And, and basically, bit at a time, we've grown that organization into uh, what is today Education Insight, which is uh, the nonprofit that we've run since 2012. Uh, and right. uh, to date, Education Insight has been to over 400 schools um, we've done around 180,000 vision screenings and donated just over 25,000 pairs of glasses uh, in in Yunnan province. Um, but you this know, is fantastic. We're, we're, we're just mm. thank you. They, we're we're really proud of the work we've done, but uh, we're also just scratching the surface. Uh, in China, according to research done by uh, REAP, the Rural Education Action Program out of uh, Stanford University and, and uh, PKU, Peking University, mm-hmm. um, it's estimated that uh, as many as 30 million students in rural China suffer from uncorrected vision problems. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous, tremendous number. I mean, 30 million, that's, you know, that's the entire population of Canada, for example, that's <laughs> today sitting in rural schools in China, unable to see and unable to participate. Uh, so that's that's sort of the the first chapter of of my story, but I, I know I've been kind of uh, droning on for a while, so I'll I'll take a pause L- there th- uh, before a- we get to Montra, the social enterprise. Right. This this is so so inspiring. This is so beautiful. Um, do you see like after you've uh, given them uh, those pair of glasses and actually you know helped them up? Do you know whether they were improving, whether they felt better, whether they participated in classroom and education process better? Does it actually make an impact on their life? Uh, that's a very good question. So uh, we have uh, a couple of couple of different answers to that. So first of all, you know the the reason that we uh, ourselves that we decided to to take uh, to take this mission up and to do it more long term. Uh, was because of the largely because of the research done at REAP, um, where we found where they found that uh, this is an incredibly impactful uh, intervention. If you give a, a child in need glasses and if they wear those glasses mm. consistently, then it's shown to have a um, the the equivalent impact of an extra year's worth of schooling that you provided to that student. Hmm. Uh, this is, you know, demonstrates a, a level of educational impact that's greater than uh, parental education level or family income level. So it's a, a hugely, hugely impactful uh, uh, intervention if you can do it properly. Now, we ourselves, you know, we definitely, especially when we got started, um, we were not, you know, we, we didn't really know, to be honest, exactly what we were doing. We, you know, we were well-meaning and, and we knew that we wanted to, we knew what our goal was, but we didn't know how to, for example, make sure that students would wear their glasses or what were the main factors in determining whether or not uh, giving glasses would lead to those those big jumps. Mm. Um, and so uh, what we, uh, we, we've, you know, grown over time, but that first year, for example, 
uh, we found that in some places, as many as 50, uh, when we went back a year later, excuse me, Mm -hmm. when we went back a year later, as many as 50% of students who had received glasses were no longer wearing their glasses, uh, which is, you know, heart heartbreaking and, and uh, you know, for us at the time was, was confusing. Uh, and we, we've since, you know, learned a lot about the different, you know, kind of social factors and different uh, stakeholders that you need to get involved to make sure that a child is actually, you know, using their eyewear properly and, and making sure that they're, um, yeah, they're really getting those, those benefits, which are very, you know, very strong and, and proven. And there's a lot of education that needs to be done as well. As you mentioned, yeah, this is rural China. And I've uh, lived in mainland China myself. I lived in a city called Chongqing, which is yeah, in Sichuan um, for, for years, right? And I can tell you, um, I mean, it, it's shocking how different city life is and how different village life is and the level of education and understanding and, um, you know, of adults and grandparents that are taking care of kids Mm -hmm. and the parents that are working in town, just completely different. So you've also had to probably uh, spend a lot of time uh, educating and finding the right uh, channel to deliver that information and those insights. Yeah, That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, I mean, the parents, parents and grandparents are... Uh, hugely important channels, and also we we found they've been some large uh, bottlenecks for, for us. Okay. Uh, so in a lot of rural areas, uh, they still have these, uh, you know, frankly backwards attitudes towards vision care, especially. <laughs> uh, the idea is that if you wear glasses, then you'll become reliant on them. But if you don't wear glasses, then maybe your vision will get better. Uh, and you know you won't become sort of addicted to glasses. Miraculously. Which is, well, I mean, so they have they have this thing called yen bao jian sao, uh, right. or these series of eye massages that students do from elementary school, right. uh, where the teacher leads them, and they're meant to be these you know kind of rub your rub your your cheekbones and you rub your temples and you massage your eyes, um, which is uh, not useful. It has it has uh, you know no. Uh, actual effect in some cases can actually be quite detrimental to students <laughs> because uh, their their little fingers are quite dirty uh, and they're rubbing their fingers on their eyes, which can lead to all sorts of, uh, you know, additional problems. Mm. Um, but the conventional wisdom is, you know, that that this is, is what you should do, that that, uh, uh, that eyes are kind of like a muscle that you can sort of restore if you, you know, eat properly or if you do, I mean, Nutrition actually is a major is a major factor, but you know, with with these eye massages, for example, you can't cure myopia that way. Yeah. And in fact, if you have myopia and you don't wear glasses, you insist on sticking it out, on toughing it out, then uh, then the problem gets worse uh, more quickly. Now, it is true. I'll, I'll add a caveat that there is uh, false myopia. Uh, there is a myopia that can develop in uh, children that. Um, that is not that does not last to adulthood. That actually does go away, uh, and so this is it's important to test when you do when you provide a child with their first pair of glasses that you do uh, a pupil dilation test. So you can't yeah. just rely on uh, the the normal um, uh, refraction test. So that that's that's valid, uh, but you know the answer is definitely not to ignore the problem. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So now you're looking to also expand that uh, beyond Yunnan. Uh, as you said, there are 30 million students in China that need help. Are there plans to cover other regions? So where we are, where we are with Education Insight is, um, you know, we're a very, very small organization, uh, mm. and we're 
we pride ourselves on our resource efficiency, really. Uh, we have very, very low overheads. And what we try to do is to, um, you know, when we go into a community, we're not just giving out hmm. freebies. We're not just giving away, even though we are providing free services. But the idea is that we're, you know, teaching teaching to fish as opposed to giving fish. Um, yeah. So we connect largely, we, we connect local eye doctors to schools, for example, local eyewear suppliers uh, and kind of get the whole community involved and get teachers and nurses and everyone. We're trying to change the culture inside these rural communities to where, you know, this stigma around eyewear just goes away and hopefully stays away. You know, it's it's important that, you know, for kids, if they look and they see many of their classmates or the classmates in the year above them wear glasses, then, you know, it's no big deal. They'll, they'll wear glasses too. But if they're the only one wearing glasses, then, you know, they, they don't want that. That's, yeah. that's, uh, there's peer pressure there as well. Definitely. Uh, but, you know, that's, that said, we're always looking for um, good ways to expand. Uh, we're definitely not focused, you know, we, we know this problem exists throughout China. Uh, mm-hmm. Our kind of background is in Yunnan, but we're always looking for, um, for example, other nonprofit partners who have strong relationships with local governments in other regions whom we can then expand through. So we can work with someone who's already done a lot of the legwork and then we bring our project and our funding and say, hey, we're going to run our project in partnership with an mm. existing nonprofit network in another area of, uh, you know, of, of economic need. Sounds beautiful. And now you need to tell us about mantra. I love your slogan, uh, look good, do good. Those beautiful <laughs> glasses and sunglasses. Yeah. Tell us about this uh, fantastic social enterprise. Sure. The second so, chapter of I, your story. <laughs> it is It is indeed. It is the, the, the second chapter, the third chapter of the China story, perhaps, uh, and, and the second chapter of my entrepreneurial story. Uh, so... Um, my co-founder, Andrew Sherman, and I, we uh, we both left our jobs at around the same time in 2014 to start working on education and site full time. And uh, basically, our the first thing we did was we engaged with this company uh, in Chengdu, not too far from Chongqing, mm-hmm. um, uh, to be kind of our first CSR partner. And they mm-hmm. were this kind of a uh, big sort of flashy they did like concerts and worked with a lot of international celebrities and singers and things like that um and we were you know really thrilled they were going to support about 50 of our schools um in that uh, that fall in 2014 and uh, so you know we we met with them a, a few times and we, we got to really know each other and uh, and we laid out the the plan that we had uh which involved like you know first we're going to help uh film a uh, a PR video for them talking mm-hmm. about what a great you know what a great company they were and all the all the help they provided <laughs> and then they then they would uh, you know help us help us uh, run our program in these schools in the fall uh, and to you know to make a long story short uh, we helped them with the video uh, you know they used it and put all of our logos and PRs you know this is this big this big CSR project they're doing um, but then when it came time to actually do the project uh, and to actually you know get to work um, in the fall Uh, they sent us a text message saying that they had had, you know, a, a change of a change of direction internally, and we're we're no longer going to be able to support uh, our project. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, they they gave us absolutely absolutely nothing, and we found ourselves in a situation where we were really scrambling, where we had to scramble to to make up the mm. basically our entire budget for that fall, or you know, our program was probably just going to die right there. Oh, so. 
China so style, huh? <laughs> I exactly, exactly, very, very much so. And you know, we ended up finding better partners, and we learned a lot of lessons. And you know, I, I, I we take partial responsibility as well because we were definitely a little naive in those days. Um, but uh, you know, that that said, we didn't want to be in that position again if we could help it. We we wanted to see if we couldn't get ourselves out of a position of always being. Uh, you know, kind of having having the tin cup asking for money and only allowing ourselves to grow at the rate that we could find donors and donations. We thought that the the problem was too urgent and the the need to reel to be entirely, you know, to be um, kind of passive about this or, or wait for, mm-hmm. for donors to agree that this problem needed to be funded. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, we had a number of uh, uh, eyeglasses like websites, big like major sites in China that do you know hundreds of millions of renminbi in revenue, uh, mm-hmm. reaching out to us and saying, oh, we really, you know, we love you guys' program. We want you to be our sort of banner CSR project. Um, we are like, oh, that's fantastic. You know, we, we really need these, uh, this support. Um, and they, and, and you know, how do you, how do you guys want to help? And they would say, oh, we want to donate like 250 pairs of glasses. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, that's it. And to them, you know, to them that's like, oh, like obviously to, to be a little bit, uh, you know, cynical, you know, they had some old stock lying around and they were like, oh, let's just give it to someone and then we can feel good about ourselves. Mm. Uh, but, you know, none of these people, they don't want to support um, uh, salaries for employees. They don't want to support fees for doctors. They just want to give glasses. You know, to them, it was just giving glasses is what we do. It's not about running a holistic project or really helping kids. It's really just about, you know, let's just kind of throwing glasses out of a van and, and uh, giving them to kids. Mm, so mm. Uh, we, we wanted to become more independent, basically. And so we, we looked at some really strong examples uh, in the U.S., you know, that we'd seen when we were in college in the States uh, a few years previous, uh, companies like Tom's uh, Shoes or what we yeah. that had done this buy one, give one model. Yep. Um, and the, the key there is, you know, you're making the social impact part of the package that you're selling to the customer. People yeah. are excited about your brand because they feel good about themselves and because the brand is a signal that shows their friends and, and their you know other people they see that they are a socially minded person. And that's mm. a new kind of currency that goes beyond just uh, you know wealth or fashion sense. It's it's about uh, social consciousness. And we had seen a lot of young Chinese people who had strong inclinations towards this. In Teach for China, for example, our volu- all the volunteer teachers we work with are very socially aware, very uh, you know uh, compassionate young people in China. We we knew many many of these people, and yet in the marketplace, no one was really offering anything to yeah. this group at all. Yeah. So we thought maybe we could do two birds with one stone here. We could. Get, we could offer a way for young Chinese consumers to be more involved in uh, in helping, you know, helping their fellow Chinese people and in feeling good about themselves. And we could spark kind of a trend of socially conscious consumption. Uh, and then at the same time, obviously, if we can build a successful business with a buy one, give one model, uh, we can use uh, a bunch of these resources to help us uh, to help us uh, provide you know, more glasses for students in the countryside. Yeah, and uh, it worked. Uh, well, it's it's in it's in the process <laughs> of working, I guess. Uh, so from from absolutely absolutely you know no idea what we were doing, um, 
at the beginning. I, we barely have I barely have any idea now, uh, but uh, you know we we got a little bit of seed funding that we you know basically begged from people um, enough to fund a first line of of sunglasses and do the design and do nice packaging and get a website. Um, and then, you know, that, you know, we went to, went to sell and we, I was basically just kind of moving around the city, trying to find anyone to, to buy our product. Uh, <laughs> and then eventually, you know, we've, we managed to get more and more good PR and more and more good people involved and improved our product, improved our design, um, and built up a small team doing this and got better and more channels. And, uh, now, yeah, now we're, now we're a, uh, I would say small, but flourishing, um, a brand that's trying, you know, we're always trying to kind of reach that next level and get more support and more involvement and, and more sales so we can do uh, do more good. But uh, so far, uh, it's yeah, it's been it's been good. And this is fantastic. This is such an inspiring story, how you can actually do good and make money and, you know, and do what you love as a founder as well. Um, I love it how you touched on modern Chinese consumers. And, um, you know, mm. for those people outside of mainland China, uh, Chinese consumers are still those, uh, you know, those guys that, that buy uh, Gucci and Louis Vuitton outfits with huge logos and go traveling on yep. tour buses with 40 people and follow the flag. Um, and for them, it's still mm -hmm. quite difficult to, you know, to relate how China right now is actually very uh, social, you know, very much about social consumption and how young people are connecting with that message. How would you define modern Chinese consumers? Uh, do you think they are more social? Do you think they are all about this guilt-free status right now? And uh, why is that in your view? Uh, I would say not yet. No, uh, okay. I, I think that, you know, I... From what I see, um, young Chinese consumers—they're definitely—they're moving in this direction. They're moving mm -hmm. towards, like, not directly. They're—they're they're not like taking a beeline right to, you know, social socially conscious uh, choices. Rather, the things that are more like mainstream, that are the big big trends that are already very prevalent, are, uh, you know, environmental consciousness, uh, health, and sort of. A, a more a cleaner, some more simplistic kind of living and lifestyle, and being more true to oneself and more individualistic, um, even you know even within a tribe, but to have a much more kind of specific identified tribe that you uh, associate with. Like these these are these are big uh, big trends that are that have already uh, become dominant. Uh, what makes me kind of excited, like on the social conscious socially conscious uh, side. You know, my concern when one of my concerns when we first started out was that, mm -hmm. you know, looking at Tom's, Warby Parker, like as an American, this stuff has already been around. It's already been around for, you know, decades, really. Yeah. If you give credit, if you give credit to Tom's for inventing it, which isn't really fair, um, then that was still 12 years ago. And now yeah. everything at Whole Foods and every startup on Kickstarter, everyone's got their social mission. And it's already it's 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 very common. It's not yeah. like. The trend is still there, but it's not a differentiator. Right. But in China, people still, it's still completely brand new. It's still, yeah. you know, there we run into basically no one who's doing it and, and very few competitors. When Chinese, when bigger Chinese companies try to do this, and we've had some, we've had a number of people like directly, well, we say copy, obviously, it's, it's, <laughs> we didn't invent the idea, but uh, people who saw the success of some of our like social media and marketing and who have done uh, very similar things, they don't have nearly the same spirit. They don't have nearly the same um, resonance uh, because they lack the authenticity. Mm, where, mm. where, they, and that's that's what's really that's what's really important. So, 
you know, when we got started doing this, we had, you know, I had my um, my intuition that in a few years, Chinese consumers would be more and more open to socially conscious, uh, you know, this buy one, give one idea, for example. Uh, but uh, right now, it's still it's still early days. You know, we've we've made our first kind of our zero to one uh, kind of moment, and we're we're excited to have done what we have. But uh, by and large, uh, you know, it's we're not a mainstream, we're not a household name by by any stretch of the imagination. We're not, uh, you know, we're not on on every Chinese celebrity's face. We're not, you know, all over the big shopping malls. Not quite yet. We're still just getting started. But um, just the not idea yet. is that. Just not yet. Not, not yet. And Just media, yet. So, I, mean, I mean, media is very interested in your story as well. And it goes along, as you know, in China, everything needs to be uh, in line with where the society is going, where the party is um, taking, uh, you know, the world. And this is very much, you know, on that on that road, right? So while not yet, you are definitely moving in the right direction. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm optimistic for sure. I think we're definitely in I'm I'm very excited about where we are um, in relation to this wave. Uh, I guess I, I want to I want to emphasize the point of like what I think really made us has made us stand out so far and gotten us, you know, the the success that we have to date. And, the, you know, the reason that we're still here is, you know, I didn't uh, it's not that we started with this really, really accurate insight about Chinese consumers that, mm-hmm. that insight, I think, was right, but we're still seeing that play out. But mm-hmm. what I think was really important was that uh, we have uh, that we have a story that's actually true and that really resonates from its its honesty and its authenticity. It's the fact that we've been. It's the fact that you know my co-founder and I that we did do this. Uh, you know that we really went to volunteer teach in Yunnan. That we left jobs and took no salary to run a nonprofit for uh, this nonprofit for years, just just because we felt like helping. It's that kind of uh, that yeah that level of authenticity is why people will listen to us. Is why people will give us the time of day. So I think we've kind of we've we've made it that far. Um, you know so far, and then now what we hope to do is to really build up that that more like overtly social side to where it's not just the founder's story that's driving the brand but rather mm-hmm. it's the emotions mm. in the consumers the emotions in the customers that they did something good that they're helping uh, you know helping the world in some way and that that's um you know that's what's what's going to drive us in the future fabulous and how do you do that how do you inbuild that emotion are you using bloggers are you doing that through social media um uh, is there again press or traditional media that is telling your story um a lot of brands out there and a lot of people uh, are entrepreneurs that are listening to this podcast they might now have ideas on how they could make their product a bit more social and uh, you know how do you actually get that emotion there so i mean It, it comes it comes back to uh, to the same the same point uh, really. Um, what, what we like we use we use our personal story a lot. We use mm-hmm. um, like for example me as the as the founder uh, as someone you know <clears throat> there was this uh, the the way that we did our first PR campaign um, was I got like a traditional like very old rickety Chinese like sandwancha a three wheeled <laughs> like a tricycle kind of thing. Uh, which you which you see a lot for like you know migrant laborers selling fruit by the side of the road or thing like that, uh, and I drove it to like Sanli Twin uh, or all over Beijing, um, and was you know kind of peddling my glasses basically, and it was that that uh, juxtaposition that kind of contrast 
um, that that made people kind of slow down and like and, and basically click on a headline or, uh, or or spend a couple of seconds just stop for just a moment to think like okay what is this maybe this is worth my time maybe this is worth sharing uh-huh. and uh, so that that contrast that came from you know that came from specifically like everything that we had like the the everything that we had going as as uh, as a team. Um, and we built that story up as like the thing that we, we hoped would would have resonance. Mm. So, I mean, I would say it's not like just having just having a social element um, mm-hmm. is is not really enough. Honestly, I, I think that yeah. for us, the we, we could have easily been doing this in complete uh, obscurity and having, you know, no one but our handful of foreigner friends buying our product uh for you know, for for years potentially, um, and never break through to the mainstream Chinese consciousness mm. without uh, without the proper understanding of like how do you take what's unique about you, what's what's you know your own thing, um, and and communicate that to your target customer, uh, because you know just there's so much, and it's even more true today than it was a couple of years ago. There's so much content. It's it's absurd. Yeah. 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 Like, when I remember when we were just getting started, the idea was like, oh, Gong Zhong Hao, like WeChat public accounts, they're so hot, you can make <laughs> one, you put out posts, you can do all these things. But, you know, everyone's learned that lesson. And so if you're going to try to build up a following on WeChat, for example, by mm-hmm. posting some well-written articles, you know, uh, good luck. It's it's really it's it's really not uh, even it's even more difficult to do than it was um, was a little while ago. So you need to have something that can cut all the way through that noise to where for, you know, for a day or for for half a day, then it's really, you know, then you're you're the equivalent of that little that little green frog uh, who was all over uh, Chinese social media for like a Mm. day around the Chinese year, that that Japanese (laughs) game. And, you know, I have no idea how that got (laughs) what they did to do that, but. It struck a chord, you know. It struck a, a chord. A lot of people with, with might the, not might not relate or understand. Tell us about the frog. Tell us about it. <laughs> so the, fro- the so this little this little green frog was, it was a uh, an app that became really popular here for about a week, um, mm. and it's a it was a Japanese game where you it, the whole thing was illustrated quite beautifully, uh, and you uh, so you start off the game and you have a little frog. He lives in a tree. Uh, you need to. Um, farm some like lilies lily pads mm, yeah and then once you give him enough food then the frog leaves home and then i think it's gone for like an indeterminate amount of time and at some point it comes home and it has these postcards and it shows shows you pictures of where it's been which are again just these nice illustrations of the frog i don't know under the eiffel tower or whatever mm, mm. um so very sweet uh but I have no idea. I have no particular insight into why that was so popular, <laughs> but it, it just blew up. Uh, and absolutely, the, the crazy thing about China is that, you know, in the next like one day after that blew up, every single person in, in, in well, in, in urban China, at least, every single person knew about it to where like, and then a week after that, you'll see it on, you know, on, on the stands of the yeah on the stands shirts and 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 <laughs> vendors and and airline uh, advertisements and just like the inf- information and ideas can spread here so quickly 
you know, that it's it's not it is different. Like for, for what we did, for example, it's very different that you know we had something similar. I'm not sure if it was was as, as successful as that, but you know, we for for a period of like 48 hours, we were actually you know at one point we were the number we had the number two topic on. Weibo, the only oh. thing that was higher than us was was a Xi Jinping meeting with the G20. Um, <laughs> and so, for for a for a moment in time, we were the most like one of the most talked about things in Chinese social media. How did media. you do that? Well, that was that was the post that I was telling you about, and so we ah. uh, we did it. Uh, we we spent uh, you know we we did we did work with uh, with some professional PR people. We spent a couple of months sort of. Thinking about like how like how can we take what is again what is authentically ours? Um, so there's nothing you know there's nothing false about it. But how can we present this? And how can we write this article? And how can we take this six year story of uh, our founding team here in China? You know, focusing on you know me as this like you know Wai Guopengyo, who's uh, this foreign yeah. friend who's been here for years and speaks good Chinese, volunteered in the countryside, now is peddling sunglasses around Sanli Twin in an old mm. style san in an old style uh, tricycle. Like mm -hmm. there's you know if you do a really good job of writing that article. And you and you uh, post it at the right time in the right place, then it actually can have a snowball effect. Mm. Um, and that's you know, and and again, I don't think that would work today. I think if we did the exact same thing today, I think we'd probably have a harder time breaking through because WeChat is probably not the same platform today that it was two years ago. Yeah. Neither is Weibo, right? Neither is Weibo. Have you used oh, any God, bloggers? Uh, exactly. And uh, have you used bloggers and, you know, KOLs and uh, what is your experience with them? Uh, mixed, mixed. Uh, so <laughs> for, for our for our first for that first PR push I was talking about, we you know, we, we worked with a handful, a couple of a couple of bloggers who, you know, they, they weren't the most popular. They weren't names that you picked out of a hat. Rather, they were people that um, really matched with our style, our target, our message. They had the right kind of following. Um, and so we worked with uh, worked with some some bloggers, a couple a little more mainstream, but one in specific, one specifically who was, um, you know, again, who just was very much aligned with what we were doing. And mm -hmm. she herself didn't have doesn't have a, a, a huge audience, but they were the right kind of people. Mm -hmm. um, they were they were influential themselves. Since then, we've had uh, we've kind of gone back and tried to do similar things. We've worked with uh, some bigger, some smaller. Uh, WeChat accounts. Sometimes it's been uh, relatively successful. Sometimes it has been not successful at all. Um, we've had a, a pretty a pretty mixed record. I would say we still like I, I I do not have a formula for saying you know oh if you give a KOL a free pair of sunglasses and mm. they post about it then you're going to get you know two sales or twenty mm. sales or mm. sales. You can't just look at the f number of followers and run an equation to their effectiveness. No, my definitely. experience in China is like it's really it's even I think even more complicated and gray than in like Facebook and Instagram and and, and U.S. Um, facing stuff because you really just the information is more closed and it's it's harder to really know what's going on. Um, and, and it kind of feels like alchemy sometimes. Definitely, and there are so many uh, fakes and so many shujun and uh, yeah. bots, and it's getting yeah. more and more difficult by the day, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh, it's tough. 
Definitely. I've got another question. So you, you briefly mentioned that, you know, being a Weigo朋友, being basically a foreigner in China and starting a business. Can you walk me through a bit through that experience? Do you think it's easier or much more difficult to do business as a foreigner in China? Um, I think you have a ceiling. Uh, so okay. there's there are places there are places you can't go and things that you can't do. Uh, I, I don't like I'm not under the illusion that, you know, if Mantra, Mantra, I think, has the potential to be an incredibly successful company. Mm-hmm. If Mantra grows to be a, you know, multi-hundred person type of, uh, you know, if, if we can really uh, fulfill that that dream, um, then I doubt that I'm going to be, you know, the CEO of the company uh, through that entire journey. Um, mm. I think that, I think at a certain point there are there are uh, trust issues, there are cultural issues that even someone like myself who has you know dedicated a lot of my time and i i have a lot of my identity hinged on my kind of understanding uh, such as it is of china mm. uh, but you know i'm i'm still i'm not chinese i'm never going to be chinese and mm-hmm. uh, and there's no need to pretend uh, otherwise so i think if you if you understand that um, then there are a lot of advantages that you can uh, that you can tap into um, for us, the big one has been just attention and, uh, to be perfectly honest, trust. Uh, mm-hmm. So to, to break those two down, like attention, just, you know, again, we're relying on this sort of this social news kind right. of um, that viral sort of marketing. It's helpful to have a, a you know, to have, a, have a, a foreigner involved in that because it's just a little more novel. It's it's yeah. no more it's no more cynical than that I don't think it's not because China is self-loathing or or idealizes everything foreign it's just more different it's more new it's it's you know it's it's novel in a way and and these social stories all need to have they 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 rely on their novelty uh, the mm-hmm. second is is the trust one and this the, the trust one is 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 one that I think is unfortunate but it's also um, it's also just just very much the case I, I've had you know, multiple hundreds of people tell me that if I were a Chinese person doing this, then uh, then it would be a lot more difficult for people to believe yeah. anything that I'm mm. saying. That mm. the idea mm. of mixing charity and business, especially trying to do both <laughs> of those, is so sensitive, and it's such a it's such a a yeah such a sensitive issue that to do that. But have people come away from you and think like, oh, I believe what you're saying. I believe that you're not a scammer or you're not doing this to get rich. You're not doing this to make money. You know, I before I came to China, it never occurred to me. The idea of doing charity to get rich was not something that <laughs> struck me as particularly logical. But it's I, I hear it, you know, in many conversations here, just people will say, oh, you're a foreigner. So I believe that you're doing this for good reasons. If you were Chinese, then how would I know that you're not just doing charity to get rich and famous? Right. Which, right. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be uh, in, insensitive to that. I know that there are specific reasons that that's the case. There are, you know, degrees of, you know, scandal from you know, Red Cross, Boime, all of these yeah, uh, yeah. very, very real issues that, that, that uh, channel that. Um, and I think bringing a certain, a certain degree of, like, naivete and... Uh, just, just sort of, um, just, just a wholesome gumption, I guess, to the table has been uh, has been a major asset. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And Chinese so, people are so pragmatic in general, right? They're so pragmatic. So that is why when you talk about charity or when you talk about social enterprise, people think that 
you know, nobody would willingly spend his time on something that does not essentially translate into enriching themselves and uh, yeah. becoming rich and famous. Yeah, but that's, you know, we try to we try to really walk that line because the whole point is, you know, Mantra is a Mantra. So we have two organizations, Mantra mm-hmm. and Education Insight. Mantra is a for-profit company. Our model mm-hmm. is, you know, we look at Tom's, for example. Tom's mm-hmm. was, you know, uh, bought out by Bain Capital at a valuation of over over a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Tom's has also done donated a lot, a lot of shoes, and they, you know, I guess you you could you could argue about Tom's particular impact because they're the intervention that they chose in terms of donating shoes is scientifically speaking not a very effective one. Um, mm-hmm. But you know the company has been successful in you know allocating resources to underprivileged communities. Right. So, and they've also been very successful from a traditional business standpoint, and that's what we want to do at Mantra. Now, Education Insight is a is a traditional nonprofit, and being a traditional nonprofit, you know, there it, it has its own, you know, the the way it operates is is certainly different. But you know, Mantra, I want Mantra to be successful because I want um, I want Mantra to demonstrate two things to the entrepreneurial class in China. Uh, one, uh, which is that you can, if you're if you if you're high on integrity and you do good enough communication and you're transparent, then you can mix charity and business. You can do both at the same time. You just need mm-hmm. to be very careful and very genuine, and not just sort of view it as a as a marketing ploy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, two is that uh, I want to demonstrate that this can make a lot of money. That you can that there's an appetite. Mm-hmm. among the consumer class for for this type of good in which case you know if consumers want it then you know then we i'm must sure give that it to the, them. the very mm. well yeah and, and the very industrial people in china will will quickly learn how to do it much better than than i uh can um so you know kind of regardless of of this my success here as an entrepreneur if i can touch something off and and then be out you know uh, obviously, I don't plan on being outcompeted and replaced, but I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm certainly, uh, I'm certainly still would feel that in that worst case scenario, I, I've hopefully still done something um, that has a has a positive contribution. Definitely. And right now, your charity and your company, how do they, how exactly do they work together? So, uh, mantra. If you buy a pair of mantra glasses, then another pair is donated to the charity, and that pair will be given to a child in need. Or do you share a, a you know a percentage from profit? How exactly does it work? Right. So uh, it's so we do a percentage of revenue. Um, uh huh. Uh, which which allows us to cover you know all, all sorts of uh, expenditures beyond just the glasses themselves. If we if we mm-hmm. could if we could just give glasses, then it would be so easy. That's why to to keep, yeah. to keep calling back Tom's like that's why Tom's is uh, had had has such a, a, a just an easier path because giving shoes you can load a truck with ten thousand pairs of shoes and then you can just you just give them like just try them on. Do they fit? No. Okay. Fine. For what we do um, is, you know, we provide uh, vision education and vision training for local teachers and doctors, and we provide prescription, proper prescription glasses that students actually choose themselves and mm-hmm. that are customized to, you know, to that student's prescription, obviously. Uh, so that's a much more, you know, much more complicated and yeah. expensive uh, 
procedure. We wish, I, I so wish that I could, that we could simplify it to where it was just, you know, buy one and then look, one for another, one, the pair of glasses mm. magically just gets, gets shipped. Yeah. And we do, you know, we do maintain one for one where the amount that we donate is, you know, roughly uh, equivalent to the cost of the program for one student. So, you know, in that way, we are, we do have a, a, a buy one, give one uh, mission. Um, but yeah, it works uh, on a basically a rolling basis. Um, we, according to our sales, we make a certain amount of donations to Education Insight, which we, they will then roll into their budgeting for, you know, generally the, the coming semester. And the more we sell, the more budget they have and the more they can expand. Absolutely. And, uh, and what are, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, just just additionally, you know, the, the two organizations are, it's not just that we donate to this nonprofit called Education Insight. You know, we are the mm -hmm. same, basically the same group of people, the, the mm. same founders. We work in the same office. Um, mm. We're very, you know, very, very closely. So closely you're working together. Day -to -day. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. And uh, what are some of your favorite social brands? So you already mentioned Tom's several times, and I think you, you have a healthy level of skepticism in the way they are <laughs> contributing to, uh, let's say, you know, the poor children in Africa. Um, so what yeah. are some of your favorite social brands? Oh, some of my favorite social brands. That's a good question. Um, let me think. So there's a, a, friend, of, a friend of mine does uh, Soapbox uh, Soaps, which is, um, also has a one-for-one -one model donating, donating uh, soap materials and selling uh, packaged goods, uh, you know, FCMG in the, in the States. Mm -hmm. um, Warby Parker, I'm a huge fan of. Warby mm. Parker is, you know, is an interesting case because uh, not only are they an incredibly, obviously an incredibly successful business, um, but they also, you know, they they relative to Tom's, they, they don't emphasize the social side. You know, they're not a social brand first. Um, mm -hmm. They're primarily, you know, about the consumer value and, and the channel. Um, but they, you know, they work with, they, they, they work with really good partners. They work with an organization called Vision Spring, which is mm. itself a very, you know, respectable um, and, and uh, well thought out, you know, proper vision related uh, solution, you know, that, that works mostly in uh, India and, and South America and Africa. Uh, so, you know, I, I have a lot of res respect for the work that, uh, that they do. And I think their branding is also just really, uh, really cool. Um, mm -hmm. let me, let me think who else, uh, who else explicitly? Yeah, these are two very yeah, good examples. Be, yeah. If, if you think of anybody else, just throw it in there. Um, you sure. living in China for so many years. Um, what do you think is going to be the future of China? So many things are changing so fast. <laughs> well, as much as you can answer, anything that you can see mm -hmm. and share with the world would be great. Sure. Well, I mean, I'll uh, I'll, I'll not stray too far from my uh, my my area of, mm -hmm. of interest. You know, there's obviously so much uncertainty in China um, around any number of things. What you know, what keeps me optimistic are the people, you know, the people that I've been able to hire as employees, the people that I, I meet at, at all sorts of different events. You know, mm -hmm. the world really, really needs young Chinese people to be um, active and engaged and aware and, um, you know, and to, to be looking for and finding meaning in their lives. Uh, mm. I think that, you know, that that's a hugely important thing to have. I think that uh, and I, you know, I, I don't mean that in, in any uh, political sense. I just mean that in terms of what we're doing, for example, getting more involved in uh, social projects and just in demanding 
more from a career or from a lifestyle than mm-hmm. just you know commercial success or uh, you know or, or uh, stability. And so I see that the, that the trends in China are moving so rapidly towards um, you know things like yeah authentic story driven branding and really you know meaningful experiences that China is it's moving very very quickly away mm-hmm. from you know the tour groups following the flag that just you, know, <laughs> you stand and you pose for the picture because that's what you're supposed to do uh, and towards this you know uh, slightly more cheeky kind of uh, idea of like. You know, being being true to yourself and finding mm. something that's uh, that's unique and that's uh, that's interesting and has value in its, um, you know, in its in its uh, in its uniqueness. Um, I think that's I think that's a very important trend and and one that I hope we can kind of nurse along and that that I'm also quite confident, you know, will will continue. I think as as long as China has a you know a, a very responsible and and kind and smart uh, group of, of young people and a young generation that's growing up here then I think um, I think that they will you know I think that there's a lot that's going to happen here that we really can't even foresee um, but but hopefully you know hopefully the, the, these, these future generations yeah it'll be it'll be good. That's beautiful. Um, do you think China right now is misunderstood in the rest of the world, like in the US and Europe, etc.? Because you see sort of both worlds, right? You live in China and I assume you also travel internationally and you can get, you know, feedback and uh, you get a lot of questions from people living outside. Um, how well do you feel they understand China, modern China? I, I don't think that average Americans, even well-educated Americans, understand China at all. <laughs> um, I, I mean, that's, I, I don't, I don't necessarily blame, uh, you know, Europe, Europe, it's, it's even harder for me to say, um, I, I don't have too strong of ties, mm. uh, but in, you know, in the U S people, people, you know, see very specific kind of lenses to China. Like maybe, maybe these days there, you know, there have been certainly, um, new stories to replace, you know, uh, uh, uh sort of the more more ones from like 20 or 30 years ago mm-hmm. but just the idea that even a relatively sophisticated understanding of China in you know a, an American middle class uh, or well-educated person uh, has has nothing to do with with like their economic level but like is just that what China is a big kind of trade uh, trade threat um, <laughs> they grow China grows quickly It's got a lot of people. Uh, it's got, you know, the, it's got the CCP in power. Mm. And that's about it. People don't really know much else unless you, you know, maybe they know about calligraphy or uh, Kung Fu or something. It's so the everything interesting that's happening here, I feel like mm. is is not really understood in, in, the, in the States at least. Mm. Yeah, mm. It's, it's just and you get that all the time, like. That's why when people come here for for like junkets or or what have you, and they go tour around cities for the first time, like people are always almost always like shocked. They're just like, "Oh, I had no idea <laughs> what was what was going on." Uh, and you know, it, it's it obviously defies defies easy summarization. You know, what quote what's going on in China is you know 1.3 billion different things, but um, it's. It's it's understandably difficult to understand because a lot of you know what China produces as well is not easily digestible by uh, by the U.S. You know, there's no equivalent to 
friends mm. uh, coming out of China. That mm. there's no, there's nothing that I can really show people back home. And be like, oh no, this is like with with the uh, the exception of you know the the occasional kind of art house film or something. Like it's hard to say. Look, this is representative of what China is like today. Like this is what Chinese. This is Chinese soft power, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that they there's still a long way to go for China to help the world understand it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, I heard that uh, China right now is investing a huge amount. I will not exactly tell how much, but uh, trillions of U.S. dollars into promoting uh, China and basically establishing their soft power. But it hasn't worked in the past uh, three, four years. And right now they are changing their approach. They're actually uh, giving uh, big Chinese companies tax breaks and reimbursing them that money. They're feeding that money to actually empower, you know, more and more Chinese strong brands like Alibaba, like Mm -hmm. Tencent, like, uh, you know, Huawei, etc. to go out there and do the soft power education by themselves. Because when it comes from Communist Party, you know, there's there's a lot yeah. of um, there's a lot of resentment there. Nobody really wants to hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, the the solution is 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 relatively straightforward, isn't it? Just in terms of well, just kind of ease up a bit. You know, that would be that would be nice. I mean, I, I would love to see. You know, I, I've known people in like, the film industry here. For, no, no, I don't. <laughs> okay. I, I, okay. I see. I see no indication of that. So that's the. You know, uh, ten ten cents, pretty cool. They've uh, and Alibaba, they've built some amazing products. They are run by incredibly smart people. Um, so I'm certainly excited to see uh, to see where those where those companies uh, take Chinese soft power overseas. Um, and uh, you know, I, I also I also really enjoy hearing from just smaller voices, individuals. Uh, you know, just just uh, things that are slightly less monolithic in in scope. That that's a uh, I hope I hope that China finds more more voices like that in um, in the coming years as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the last questions: How does it feel to be named thirty under thirty by Forbes? Has your life changed yet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, my life hasn't changed. It's uh, I think it's it's interesting. I, I feel like I've I've definitely learned a good bit about myself from this because my primary feeling in in that, which is obviously an amazing honor, I'm I'm thrilled, uh, and it's so good to get that. It's so it's so excellent to get recognition that I can tell mm. my parents about and they'll understand what I'm talking about. Uh, that's I think <laughs> Finally. maybe the most important thing. Yeah, it's like, look, do you see? Like this is actually this is something is actually working. Um, <laughs> but uh, generally, like after that news, I was like, okay, this is this is great and all, but. Uh, we still have we still have so far to go. Uh, it, it definitely struck me as a a, a reason to like. I, I hope that it's useful. I hope that you know that the uh, the identification with such a respected institution can help get more you know more resources and more attention and and uh, can allow me to kind of help magnify our voice. Um, but you know by by no means do I see that as as like mission accomplished. No, not at all. But uh, it's a great recognition, as you said. And uh, to finish up, what is next? Where are you going to take your uh, businesses and your enterprises and your mission going forward? Uh, really, we're we're just looking to we're we're looking to scale. You know, we we've got uh, we we've done basically a, a proof of concept, um, but the you know we we still have a long way to go in terms of. Uh, it's kind of comes down to, to to channels and to scope and to to scaling up. We need to find 
find the right partners, get in the right places, get in the right stores, the right malls, on the right celebrity faces, find the right support, um, you know, and then as as time goes on, get the get the right investors and take mantra from uh, from the the kernel that we're at right now and really you know really grow. That's that's uh, that's where I'm where I'm focused Beautiful. right now. And how can we support it? What can each and every one of us, all of our listeners and myself as well, what can we do to support it? Where do we buy? Give us the shameless plug of your business. Oh, fantastic. I've been waiting <laughs> for the plug. Uh, so if you're, if you're uh, outside of China, uh, then go to uh, findyourmantra.com. Uh, findyourmantra.com. We ship internationally to, uh, I believe, most countries where your, uh, your listeners will be. Um, and you know, we do, we do free shipping, um, and, uh, and the whole, the whole lot prices are, prices are obviously reasonable. Uh, you can also find and us on Facebook. And they have very beautiful uh, sunglasses. Instagram. I just, I just must, uh, must, uh, sorry, cut you short. They have very beautiful Please. sunglasses. I just browsed their website yesterday and today. Absolutely beautiful. I'm definitely getting myself a pair, a couple of pairs and they are not expensive, not expensive guys, just like uh, 100 or a couple of hundred US dollars. You can get yourself beautiful stuff. Yeah, Continue yeah. So, with the plug. Uh, <laughs> sure. So, I mean, again, I haven't really talked as, as much about the product as I probably should have. Um, let me let me do that for just a quick a quick moment. So, you know, for us thinking about designing these sunglasses, first we wanted to we we didn't want to compromise on you know quality at all. So we use uh, you know just top of the line you know lenses, gold plated hinges, uh, ceramic nose pads, uh, entirely custom uh, cellulose acetates. Um, they're really, you know, they're, they're really well, uh, well made everything from the cases to the packaging. You know, I'm really proud of the, uh, the product that we're putting out into the world. And yeah, the prices go, go from, you know, we started like 90 bucks, uh, up to around, yeah, I think 150, 180, something like that. Uh, and our designs are all inspired by different stories from Yunnan. So we have everything from, you know, the Yunnan has this really beautiful kind of red clay, uh, around the city of Dali, uh, which is also known for uh, its marble. So we have, uh, this one line that's uh, called terracotta that's based on uh, you know sort of juxtaposing the, the like the red earth with this this white and black uh, marble design uh, or another line that's based on the uh, the Miao people who's this uh, mm -hmm. very uh, mm -hmm. this ethnic minority in China that's known for its a uh, very like delicate but ornate um, uh, clothing so that we, we kind of abstracted their some of their uh, clothing designs and made this really delicate kind of uh, transparent blue pink uh, sort of a, a color combination that's, mm -hmm. that's really, uh, really gorgeous. Um, so every pair has a story, even like the black pairs that we sell, which are black on the outside, they have a, a pattern on the inside, which will be inspired by, you know, either the, the Yunnanese rice terraces or um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Baizu, the another ethnic minorities uh, mm -hmm. kind of clothing and textile patterns. So, you know, every every pair has a story, not just of the students that you've helped, but also of the, the design of the product as well. Absolutely. So, and again, there are collections for both men and women. So, yeah, it's men, beautiful. Men and women. Uh, that's findyourmantra.com. If you're inside China, uh, then you can search for mantra, M-A-N-T-R-A, on uh, Tmall, JD.com, uh, WeChat. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're not hard to find. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sam, for this fantastic chat. I've learned so much and you've delivered so much value. I'm sure that we all understand a lot more about, you know, modern Chinese consumers, about building a social enterprise, about finding your purpose and being extremely passionate about what you do and just going forward. Um, I'm once again, I once again want to congratulate you with getting on the 30 under 30 list by Forbes. You are a fantastic person and uh, it was a pleasure to spending this hour with you. Yes, this was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. And to our listeners, thank you very much for staying with us for this hour. Don't forget to subscribe to ashleytalks.com and wait till next Thursday for the next episode. We're going to talk and give spotlight to more 30 under 30 founders. So let's go get them and have a great week. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.